Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome into another episode of And That's Another Carolina Podcast. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, back in the house after taking the week off last week and excited, as always, to be joined by Wes Mitchell and Chris Clark to break down National Signing Day, which went off not entirely without incident yesterday, but certainly not the big affair that we are used to it being South Carolina signing four guys, finishing out its class 23 of 25. There's other two scholarships, uh, Josh Belk and Jamel Cook, of course, but going to talk a little bit in depth about those four guys South Carolina signed yesterday with Chris and Wes. Uh, talk a little bit about we got the media tour of the new ops building uh, for South Carolina football, and it was absolutely extraordinary. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and take some of your questions from the Insiders Forum. But without further ado, both of you guys were each at an announcement ceremony yesterday. Jamie Robinson for you, Chris, and Jaquez Sorrells for you, Wes. We'll start with you, Chris, because Wes is walking around with a video camera. Walk me through uh, sort of everything that went down yesterday in Lee County, Georgia, and Jamie Robinson's yep. announcement. Yeah, I mean, the, the outcome was not that surprising or not surprising at all. Um, you know, 16 kids, I think it was, at Lee County signed. Um, Jamie was the the headliner, went last, and picked between Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, the Gamecocks. The longtime favorite there, won out as expected. So um, put the cherry on top of the class, I guess you could say, four-star defensive back who will play probably nickel or safety for the Gamecocks. And uh, brings a brings a lot of a versatile skill set, I think, to the secondary. So really nice pickup for them. That was sort of a long time coming. We did this on my local show on 107.5 The Game, which you can catch from 12 to 1 on weekdays. And I think it's a, a fun way to sort of approach this. I like to think of recruiting in terms of NCAA football, the video game, because I'm not as good at following recruiting as you guys are. So just to put it in terms that will help me understand and probably help a lot of you understand if you're familiar with the way that NCAA football recruiting works. If you had to rate Jamie Robinson as a defensive back as either a pass coverage guy, a hard hitter, or balanced, where would you rate him? I would I would go balanced. You know, I think he's got corner coverage ability, um, but he's got – you know, he's 5'11", 190, 195, so he's put together pretty well. And on film, I mean, he shows uh, physicality. I mean, he's a guy that comes down in the box, can tackle, can cover in space. Um, he he doesn't mind being physical. He doesn't mind contact. So I think he's a guy that, that's pretty balanced in that regard. And I think that's one reason that South Carolina believes he can play nickel because he can match up setting the edge in the run game as a nickel or he can match up on slot receivers or tight ends um, or running backs coming out of the backfield. Do you get the sense that he'll be able to come in and contribute right away? I think he's a guy that, for me, Pearson, when you look at um, the guys that they've signed in the secondary, I think he's someone that uh, probably has the best chance to play early in terms of cracking the rotation uh, because of what he can do on special teams. Also, I think safety and nickel, corner's a big need, um, but I think when you look at the fact that they probably are going to have two starters there that they feel pretty good about, that may end up being the case at safety, but I think there's um, – you know, an opening maybe for him to come in and get some playing time, whether it's a safety nickel or on special teams as a coverage guy. 
Wes, you were down in Florida yesterday afternoon. I can't believe you're back already. You must have come back either late last night or earlier this morning. Either way, that's a long trip, but probably worth it for Jaquez Sorrells, a guy that's a top 50 ESPN guy, a defensive tackle, and someone that had a list of offers from you know everyone that you would expect to see going after a top 50 kid. So what was the announcement ceremony like? Was it a big deal? Uh, yeah, it was interesting, um, and I just wrote about this on the site, but uh, a lot of times, especially – I don't know, Chris, it seems like the guys that go to the second signing day, there's a little more dramatics at times, you know, because a lot of times that's guys that maybe are struggling to decide, don't really know what they want to do or where they want to go. But um, it was very low-key for a national-level defensive tackle. You know, this is a kid that chose South Carolina over uh, Alabama and Penn State. And, um, you know, I I told Chris I even – I hesitated to, like, roll out to put out my tweet or to say hey it's South Carolina because nowadays you're you're waiting to see is there you know is this a hat flip hat trick is there something else to <laughs> hat, hat trick you, know? you told me you weren't a soccer guy you know, like um <laughs> anyway so uh, you know he, he put he put the visor on his head like literally was just like he just put the visor on his head and I was like wait that's that's it that's all there is to it yep. and uh he took he put it on his head he looked around and then he grabbed the pen and he just started signing like instantly. Like there, there, there was no let me build this up. There was no fanfare. I mean, the the fans were, that were there were excited. Don't get me wrong. But as far as Jaquez went, he was like South Carolina. Grabbed a piece of paper, grabbed a pen, and was like, I mean, he was signing before they even finished uh, announcing him. Almost it seemed like. So, I love it. The um, fake out was the fake out. That's sort yeah, of my theory was, with was good. with kicking. You know, kickers always now expect to be iced. So I feel like the real way to ice kickers now would be to not actually call the timeout. You know, it's it's like the fake-out, fake-out. But uh, for Sorrells, a guy that, you know, as you mentioned, had a bunch of offers from a bunch of good places like Alabama and Penn State and obviously South Carolina. He's a top 50 guy. I think last I saw he was 43rd in the country. What does he bring to South Carolina in terms of being able to contribute right away? You know, I think he's a true SEC-level defensive tackle. Um, You know, I, I talked to his coach there at Winter Park, and that's what he kept mentioning. Uh, you know, you look at him on film and you see, you know, this guy – uh, he's up to like 6'3", 298 pounds, uh, which is really, really good size. Um, you know, and but then you look, he can move. He's got great feet, uh, uses his hands well, quick hands. Um, and, and he runs sideline to sideline. That's something you don't always see with guys that are that size. So I, I like the motor. And uh, you know what, this, this is a very determined kid. Like I, I was just impressed. Um, you know, I was talking to Chris, uh, I think, five different times on the drive home. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> At least, um, but uh, you know, this is a kid. I, when I when I'm around these things, I pay attention to their demeanor and how they carry themselves. And he's a very determined kid. Um, it it was actually, you know, my 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 two favorite parts about covering recruiting is a when a kid like gets his first offer and you're like kind of there to see um, or talk to a kid right after he's gotten his first offer or his first big offer. That's always pretty cool. I feel like. And then I like being there when they're just done and they're just like, you know, they kind of, it kind of hits them and they look back and they're like, Hey, I'm so glad this is over because the process for a lot of these big time kids is very overwhelming. But, um, just the way he carried himself, uh, to me was very impressive because it was an emotional day for him. I, I didn't really, I didn't really ask. I didn't really get into the details, but, um, he said several times he had been through, a lot he and his mom have so that was why he was so emotional um and and this is just a driven determined kid uh, you know one of the other re- local reporters that was there you know asked him if he had a, a message for Gamecock Nation and he said uh, 
he's like, no, it's time it's time to go to work. So, um, you know, if I've got a full video interview up on Gamecock Central, so shameless plug, but I wouldn't tell people that if I didn't think it was a good interview. Like, I, I think uh, you'll really – this kid will be a fan favorite, I think, if you go watch that because there's just a certain um, – determination that comes along with him that I think will serve him well. And I, I left just a, you know, you're not supposed to really have favorites or anything, but I, I left uh, sort of a, a fan of him. Like, I, I think he's going to be successful. So you're an NCAA football guy, right? Or from back in the day? Of course. So you know when I you... Will, I will beat anybody listening <laughs> or not listening at NCAA football. All right, comment on the Insiders Forum thread if you think you can take Wes in a game of NCAA football What's the and, last and we'll one? do a weekend. 14? 14, yeah. Okay. It's 14. Updated rosters, PS3. Let, let's go. Anybody, let's go. anybody All right, wants so, to play. So you are intimately familiar with the ins and outs of NCAA football. Yes. You know that when you put someone on your recruiting board, no matter what position they are, they have like their, their ranking and their strengths and their weaknesses and mm-hmm. all that stuff, but they also have tendencies. And for, I just asked Chris, for defensive backs, they're either pass coverage, hard hitting, or balance. As a defensive tackle, from what you know about Sorrels, is he more of a balanced guy, more of a pass rusher, or more of a run stopper to use those NCAA Ooh, criteria? Nice. I mean, I think you have to go balanced again, though, right? Like, I, He's yeah. asking you, not me. I mean, you, no, you're involved This is in this. great because Chris gave a different answer on my local yeah, show, I so I love this. Yes. Really? Don't try to anticipate yeah. his answer, though. Give me your, give me no, your no, case I'm for I'm balance. I'm not going to no. change my answer because of him. I'm just wondering what, <laughs> what way he went. No, I, 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 went, I went pass rush. Okay. I because, mean, okay. You know, he's a he's a bigger guy, and not to say he's not a balance. I don't think he's a one trick pony player, but you just look at him as explosiveness and athleticism. I just gave him a little bit of a nod in the okay. pass rush department. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. All right, but you're going balance. I'd say balance just because I think he can do both. Balanced I mean, is not wrong. Yeah. I would say. I would, I would definitely not say run stopper. Yes. Like, I would make a, you yeah. could make a case for one of those two things, but he's a, yep. he's an athletic kid, man. I think he's got a, Looking at him yesterday, he's got to, you know, reshape a little bit, which is common, but he's already got good size, man, um, and uh, strength. And a lot of guys, it seems like, that are big like that um, can get in the backfield, but then they don't always have the feet to finish the play and that change of direction, you know. And, and there's a place for that. If you blow up a play, you blow up a play. But to finish off the play, you know, get to the quarterback or chase down that back or chase down the perimeter screens – um, that's a little bit more rare, and I, I think he has that. The only downside with Sorrells in terms of assessing what his contribution could be to the Gamecocks next year doesn't seem like that he will be eligible to do that. Some academic issues he's got to work mm. through. But regardless, he still joins an incredible class right now for South Carolina on the defensive line with five-star Zach Pickens, obviously still on a bunch of headlines, five-star Josh Belk or four, depending on where you look, four-star, uh, four-star Joseph Anderson, four-star Rodriguez Fenton, and Devontae Davis as well. A lot of people saying this is the greatest defensive line class in the history of South Carolina. Chris, you mentioned earlier, also on my local show, that you kind of have to look back to that 07 class with Gathers and Matthews. But, Wes, I'll ask you, since you were there uh, in person talking to Sorrells and, and just since we're talking about the defensive line with you, what is your take on this defensive line class? Is it the greatest in South Carolina history? Yeah, and I um, I came up with the question. Normally I, I hate that question, but I in this case I think it's an interesting conversation. You're um, letting the inner radio talking head take over. You have to be hyperbolic and you have to have I lists know. and greatest of all time and I things know. like that. But, but no, on paper, I mean, and, and uh, you know, I, I actually we'll talk about the ops tour in a little bit, but I, I saw Joseph Anderson there um, when we were doing the ops tour and I – I was like, man, he already looks like he's been in Carolina's weight room for for a while, and you know he's been there what like less than a month, so or right at a month, and 
you know, I think you look at him, you look at Pickens, you look at Sorrells, um, you know, can can Fenton be that true, like, pass rush guy they need at the buck? Uh, you know, it'll be seen later on. But um, on paper, I would say at the very least it's the second best D-line class of the Rivals era, which is what, 2002? Two. Mm-hmm. Behind that 07 class? With yeah. Getters and Matthews yeah, and Ingram. I mean, and... Yeah, on paper. I mean, because you, you've got to throw Melvin Ingram in there, too. He was listed as a linebacker, but, I mean, he was in that class, so... Uh, but as far as I think you look at stacking what they had this past class, and, and like you said, you know, are are, are we going to count Josh Belk in this? If you start counting Josh Belk, then the numbers, the number of four or five star guys starts to sort of even out a little bit. I, I wonder, is there, and now we start talking about, are, are we talking about on paper, as in, you know, at this point when the 2007 class, because we have the, you know, we already know what they did in their careers. We don't know what this class is going to do. So, um, you know, I guess we're counting Melvin, but is there a troop? Is there a playmaker in this class, the caliber of what we found out Melvin Ingram ended up being? You know, can Pickens as the five star be that guy? You know, only time will tell. Well, just given his skill set, he seems like the guy that's most likely to emerge as that. Cause, you know, Josh Belt can be an absolute destroyer, but just in terms of that playmaking potential, that you know, the guy that's going to steal the highlights, is going to score touchdowns and things like that. You know, it's it's usually the end or like the edge rusher because you're getting to the quarterback more. You're getting into the open field. You know, when you pick up a fumble and you, I guess you know scoring touchdowns on special teams and things like that. That's if it's someone on the defensive line, it's more likely to be the ends than the tackles. So I guess Pickens would be where I'm looking there. But certainly a lot of reason for uh, for optimism from Gamecocks fans because this is an absolutely tremendous class. We'll stay in the trenches with South Carolina's next commitment, actually their first one of the day yesterday, and that's the three-star offensive lineman William Rogers, who announced his commitment a couple of weeks ago. Chris, what do you see from Rogers? What does he bring to the South Carolina offensive line? Much improved under Coach Wolford and trying to continue uh, an upward trajectory. Yeah, he's probably an offensive guard, um, 6'4", over 300 pounds, uh, reminds some people in the program of Sedarius Hutcherson, both in the way he carries himself and, and his game. Um, you know, I'm not sure if he's quite as athletic maybe as Hutcherson was coming out of high school. If you remember, he was a converted tight end defensive end who was, you know, I don't know, 235, 240 pounds when he got to Carolina. Now he's 300, and he may kick out to tackle next season. Or, of course, he can stay at guard where, where he's been uh, during his career so far. But Rodgers is a guy that they had in camp last summer. They liked him. Uh, just sort of stayed the course during the recruiting process. And with the way the dominoes fell in the class, they sort of came back there at the end and, and really wanted to take him uh, with an extra slot. Didn't have to take another offensive lineman in this class. I think that sort of speaks to what they thought of him and his game. But he's a he's a big guy uh, who can move, play D-line and O-line for Lovejoy in Hampton, Georgia, and someone that they, they liked as a late addition. So how do you guys, obviously it's going to be a little bit different for each program and for coaching staffs versus you guys, but when you're looking at this, when you see, again, a three-star guy, a guy that didn't have a huge offer list, what are you looking at for, like, steel potential? How do you assess that when you're looking at these recruits? Steel potential in terms of just, like, yeah, you know, yeah, like, taking like, a lower like when you're watching guy. When you're watching tape of, of someone like yeah. Rodgers, you know, do you watch it and you're like, yeah, this is a three-star guy, he's going to come in, he's going to redshirt, he'll be, you know, probably a backup, or, or are you looking – for something and seeing something that it's like, oh, wow, this guy's going to end up being a diamond in the rough in this class. You know, I, I think you can look at the tape. The, the film can lie to you a little bit, you know, on certain guys. And, and certain positions, it's tougher to assess guys on film, like defensive back, for example. It's really tough. I mean, sometimes it's grainy. Sometimes you're not getting good angles. 
you can't really get a, a good look at a guy in certain situations. You know, you can get that a little bit more in certain situations with D-linemen, O-linemen. You know, I think you look at a position like running back, what you see on tape is, is a pretty good indicator. You know, it's maybe a little bit tougher with O-linemen and D-linemen, but I like to look at the tape, but also like to, you know, talk to the kid's coach, um, talk to other high school coaches who played against him, you know, lean on some other people that, that you may run into during the recruiting process, other sources that might be able to tell you some about the game. Um, what are the testing numbers like? Do you, so, a lot of these kids we get to see in spring or summer in camps, whether it's at South Carolina's camp, whether it's at like the rivals three stripe camps that we get to see, we get to see their testing numbers. Um, so I think you just sort of take all that and put it in a pot and, and sort of just formulate your opinion. Sometimes you're wrong on guys. Sometimes you're right on guys somewhere in between, uh, at, at other times, but that's really how we do it. Um, I think if he develops into a Sedarius Hutcherson level player, there'll be no question that it ends up being a steal. I, I oh, think you said that sure. was the comp just yeah. in terms of um, just in terms of his body and, and what he is just coming out of high school. You know, obviously it doesn't factor in the development in college, but do you see that as a realistic upside for him, or is that just a comp for the sake of you know having a, a, a reasonable facsimile of what he's like in high school? Yeah, I mean, I think he can develop. I mean, you look at what Hutcherson's developed into, and he was a guy that South kind of looked at and sort of projected him to the O-line. So this is a little different because Rodgers was a defensive lineman and offensive lineman in high school. From a size standpoint, he's a little bit more ready-made because Hutcherson had to put on 50, 60 pounds when he got to college, which he's done. And now he's worked himself up to a starter caliber guy. I think Hutcherson's probably got a little bit more upside because um, – when you look at their the NFL prospects, he may be one of the better ones on the team overall in the trenches as far as on the offensive line. Um, but I do think Rodgers, I mean, he, he's always a guy that I think could, could develop into a starter probably a little bit more down the road, maybe not as early as Hutcherson did, but I think it was a solid get for him. Rounding out the class for South Carolina, the final announcement of yesterday afternoon. We talked about him a little bit a couple of weeks ago because of who his dad is, but around 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon, Shiloh Sanders putting pen to paper, the three-star cornerback from Cedar Hill, officially signing his letter of intent to play at South Carolina West. What does Shiloh bring to South Carolina? They're bringing in a couple other good defensive backs. They've got some good young guys. We saw what J.C. Horn can do. I think R.J. Mm-hmm. Roderick came along nicely this year as well. Israel Mukwamu certainly has some work to do, but has the physical tools to be a successful corner in this league. So it's a, it's it's as much as the secondary was shorthanded at times last year, it's now looking like it's going to be a little bit crowded. What do you see from Shiloh um, in terms of what he might be able to bring to South Carolina next year? Yeah, I think um... – you know, Muschamp made the point that he's really only played two years of, of football, and I uh, I think, I mean, we always use the word upside, I, I feel like, as a crutch, but, um, you know, he, he's got plenty of upside, and, um, you know, the bloodline's very obvious, but I think the kid's a hitter, man. Like, he, he plays a game, he plays a physical brand of football. He's got some receiver skills to him as well, some return ability. Um, I, I just like the balance of this class as far as, you know, if you want to take a step back a little bit, um, you know, you got Jamie Robinson, who I think is a very close to like a ready-made player. Not that he's as good as he's ever going to be. I don't mean that. But as far as being someone who could step right in and really help you out at nickel or safety maybe. And um, then you have some guys like Shallow, who maybe is more of an upside guy. Cam is more of an upside guy, I think, as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I like this class a lot. Um, I know you were talking about Jamie earlier, but, um, you know, I – I remember us watching him in camp. I mean, that was so long ago now. 
How, yeah. how many years ago was that? That was summer of 2017, I think it had to be. Okay. Um, yep. Yeah, and I remember thinking, watching him then, like, this this is a not a must-get, but this is a guy South Carolina really could use. And at the time, yep. I thought he was a, a cornerback. Like, that's, that's how good of a coverage guy he was. But, um, you know, you look at him, you look at Shiloh and sort of the attitude that they have um, on the field, sort of the – that ed, that competitive edge is what Muschamp always calls it. Um, I think these two have it in spades, and I think that's something they they need to continue to add to their secondary. So I, I think those guys fit in pretty well. NCAA football recruiting is Shiloh Sanders hard hitter, pass coverage, or balanced? No, um, <laughs> just go balanced. They're all, I mean, they're all balanced. Uh, man, let's go hard hitter though for a corner. I mean, that's what Chris said as well. Ding, ding, I like that. Ding, the, yeah. yeah, I, I think insert so, joke man. about him being the opposite of his dad. Yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, I I'm, I said it uh, when he committed. You know, this <laughs> this guy hits harder than his dad ever did. I think <laughs> yeah. so. And I love Dion, man. Um, but yeah, I, I would say hard hitter. So in terms actually, of, I kind of I like I like this. We should do this for the for the whole class. Yeah, that's that's there a great go. way to do that. We'll we'll have to do a, a whole recap and give everybody a whatever grade and i guess chris we should go back i forgot to do it for william rogers balance oh yes pass oh. blocker run blocker well i gave run blocker uh that's what i came up with on your show i and and the reason being i think a lot of kids are maybe a little bit more about ba- a little bit more balanced see you got that word in my head a little bit more adva- blame <laughs> a little bit more advanced in the run blocking category a lot of times there's some things to clean up in terms of technique and just learning things and pass coverage. And Plus, he's an interior player, so I'll give him a little bit more of a run-blocking grade for now. So we're, to go back to the defensive back class for a second, obviously we've talked about just how decorated this defensive line class looks like it's going to be and how much potential it has to be a great one. This defensive back class is really intriguing to me. It seems like there's a lot of length, a lot of physicality, and a lot of versatility among these guys. So I ask you right now, and obviously this answer will change probably as the months progress, but looking at Cameron Smith, Jamie Robinson, Johnny Dixon, and now Shiloh Sanders. Which one of those guys do you think projects to be the biggest hit for South Carolina, and why is it Johnny Dixon? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, you I have like uh, Johnny Dixon's your Pearson's guy. He's my favorite. Dixon. Sorrells is your favorite. Dixon's my favorite. Yeah. Um, what was the question? Who's the best defensive back? Yeah, you got one of those four who projects to be the biggest hit for the biggest hit. Um Wow. Because I'm excited for these defensive backs. Yeah, they're all good. They and you know what? I didn't even talk about Johnny as far as having that swagger, but man, that kid's got it too. As as you know, I wish y'all could see. The, <laughs> I wish y'all could see the grin on Pearson's face. We're right alive now. for a reason. Uh, right? I need to oh turn that camera. I'm really around. excited. But, uh, I'm really excited. For that's Dixon. his guy. Um, I'll still. You know what? I know who you're gonna say. Yeah. I'll still say. I will still say Cam. Although I will. I don't know that this five star talk. You know. I don't think he's quite there yet, but um, I think upside-wise, um, you know, you see you see why people talk about Cam. But um, I know you're going to say, and I, I sort of agree with you too. <laughs> yeah, uh, I should change it just because you said that. No, I, I would pick. I'd pick Jamie Robinson. Um, I th- I think he's, and not even early impact, but I, I think he's a, he's a versatile guy. I, I love the way he competes. He's a really competitive player, really really strong work ethic. I think he's an intelligent player. He can just do a lot of different things for you. So I like his physicality, his size, coverage ability. I think, you know, if you, if you had to project it out, I think he's probably going to be the biggest hit. But actually, what I'll go a little controversial. I'm, I might put Dixon at number two, actually. 
really? are right up there. Yeah, I just I, th- I think in terms of you know co- just pure coverage ability, mm-hmm. he's he's really got a lot of it. So. Not to mention he is the guy that's carrying on the two spoons you legacy here at South Carolina. It's been a couple of years since DJ Swag left that they had somebody in the secondary to just to, to just swagger around. You know, Fenton's had a little bit of that, but I think his career's been up and down and certainly hasn't been the fan favorite that I think Johnny Dixon's going to be. So, but dude, I, th- I think all these guys have that, man. I mean, I, Chris was at Jammies, but I, I watched it on uh, on Facebook, man. I, I loved his announcement. Like, because he, yeah. uh, did you watch it, Pearson? No. Um, didn't he, he said, I asked you this, did yeah. we ever verify? He says, he says, "All right, fam, where we're going?" Yeah, right? yeah. And, and then his his somebody passing the hat, like just the, uh, I don't know, like the confidence. Well, and a lot of people, um, he had a lot of people at his school, South Carolina. Like the coach was like, "Who wants Jamie to go here?" Who, who you know? And South Carolina got like probably the lowest ovation. And then a lot of people like thought Jamie was going to do the little hat trick, and you know, he he had some comments made to him, and he was just really just. I'm going to South Carolina. Like that's what I'm doing. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, he had the little bit of swagger with how he dressed. You know, he yeah. had on the dress shoes. Yeah. Really rocked it out. It was yeah. interesting. I saw you know DJ Swearinger commented on yeah on um, our Instagram where we had posted about Jamie's commitment um, about a conversation they had had. Obviously, we don't know what that conversation was like, but uh, Swearinger said, "Remember that conversation." And uh, I know. Uh, Devontae Holloman has compared Jamie to DJ Swearinger. So I, yep. I I think if there is a if there's a two spoons in this class, then it's Jamie Robinson. What does that even mean? I have I no idea. I have no it clue what eat, that means. Right? Yeah. Eat, you're talking yeah. about eating and then you want you instead of one spoon, which is inadequate, you use the two so that you can maximize your but eating not ability. forks. Like spoons? Because no, when can, I think spoons, I think of eating soup, and I don't think of eating soup as being a particularly ferocious act. But like two forks, you could be nomming some steak, you know? That's what I, th- I imagine DJ's eating but more steak than he is sounds super, cooler. Yeah, I would two say. spoons sounds awesome. I would argue. So Johnny Dixon's yeah. carrying on that legacy. But e- either way, a lot to be optimistic about all over the place in this class for South Carolina. The defensive tackles, the defensive backs, obviously Ryan Holinsky, uh, a lot to focus on. And obviously excited to see them uh, actually get here, get on campus, start to work out, start to get into practice, and we'll have more updates, obviously, as they progress. But no small part of the recruiting equation, we know this, we talk about this a lot, are the importance of facilities. And we got to tour. Well, Wes was there. I didn't even see you, Chris. Did you go? I did not attend. Slacker. All right, so yes. you're excluded from this segment. I'm going to turn your mic off. What a and Wes loser. and I are just going to talk about how incredible <laughs> talk about the it, new yeah. Long Family Football Operations building is. It's it's absolutely extraordinary. Had you been in there before, before Monday when we got the media tour? No. Oh, my gosh. What were your first impressions? Um, well, I know that the great people that were touring us around had to keep coming and getting me when we would like move from one place to the next because I was like a kid on a field trip and they're like all right we're moving on to the next spot because I I seriously could have spent like five hours in there just checking out because I every room we're in like I wanted to see everything about and I was trying to put it on our Instagram too and then there just wasn't enough time in the day and it was a and that's not a slight like it was an hour tour like it was a we were there for two hours it was like well done um you know so I uh I enjoyed it. Um, it was just there's so much to do and see in there. Um, you know, I, and I I don't know if you know, you and I were in separate groups, Pierce, and I don't know if they mentioned this to you, and I can't remember. I wish I could remember the exact number. But basically when we were with Jeff Dillman, who's the strength coach, they were talking about how they wanted to make it a more efficient use of the player's time. And 
they said that basically this eliminated the 15 minutes on average that it took for them to go from the stadium to the practice facility or the indoor facility or whatever. Right. And they said and you, they and you and when you go back, that's 30 minutes, and you do that twice, and you're yeah. looking at an hour of lost time. So they added that up, and then multiplied it by the four years on average that the kids are there. And they said, and I, God, I wish I remember the number. I think it was three months of their life that <laughs> they were saving by removing that from their schedule. So. Yeah. I, I thought that was one of the more interesting things that was said. For those of you that haven't been in that haven't seen, uh, first of all, if you go to the 107.5 The Game Instagram account, I did like a very interactive play-by-play and, and really a look at every single room that we got to go in. So if you want to know exactly what this looks like, there are pictures of it on uh, the 107.5 Instagram. It's just saved under one of the highlights. But just to give you an idea, the weight room, 26,000 square feet, which is absolutely extraordinary. The the squat rack combo machines they have were built specifically for the University of South Carolina. I, I, I say that like because I don't know what else to call it because it's I've never seen anything like it. And because, you know, according to Coach Dillman, it was built specifically for that. And it's also it's beautiful. If you've seen the building, it's mostly like glass walls. So it's yeah. a lot of natural light, which is great because and that was one of the other things that Coach Dillman emphasized. He's like, look, we don't want to just have gross fluorescent lights. We want people to, you know, feel like they're outside. And the other part of it is the entire it's like right next to the practice field. And basically that entire wall, it's glass, but it's also like mm-hmm. garage doors. So it flips up and you just, you know, let the breeze roll in, let the sunshine in. And it's basically like having an outdoor gym. And it's absolutely incredible. They have a nutrition station in the gym so that they can get their like, you know, rehab and recovery in. Like as soon as they're finished working out, as Coach Dillman said, 30 minutes, you have about a 30 minute window from when you finish exercising to go ahead and start your recovery. So that's really important. They also have like a motion like capture area in the gym where they can do science things over there that I don't even know what that's all about, but it's absolutely extraordinary. By the way, Colin Taylor, uh, he weighs in. He says uh, two months is how, how much time that it saves. Nah. Back. I, I thought it was three. but well, leave it to Colin. Um, oh, Colin's covering, Mr. Wright. He's a good numbers guy. Covering softball and baseball. Where's softball today? Puerto, is he in Puerto Vallarta? Yeah, he's out. Or whatever. You know, that guy's in three places at once yeah. a lot. But uh, well, yeah, speaking of saving Colin. time, one of the other things that caught my attention when we were taking the tour, we were in sort of, I guess the like recovery room, the where, training room. Yeah, like like the training room where they will like rehab injuries and things like that. And there was also they had a float tank in there, which dude, that, I didn't know what it was. It just looked like a giant egg. It looks like a spaceship. Sort of. For those of you that don't know what it is, Google it. But just to give you a quick overview, they fill it with body temperature water and salt that makes it about eight times saltier than the Dead Sea. It's a sensory deprivation chamber. So what they do is they put they put you in there and you float. And we were talking to Clint Haggard and he was telling us, you know, he's got 300-pound guys that are like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to float in there. And they get in there and sure enough, they float. You put enough salt in there and that's what's going to happen. So they close it so it's pitch black dark. They have like a music option and then generally what they'll do is they'll phase that out. So by the end of it, it's a complete sensory deprivation, which apparently gives you, I guess, like a, a a better sleep or it's more restful because you don't have any distractions. You're not waking up for any reason. And apparently the like 30 minutes in the float tank of just like napping can rejuvenate you as much as like a four or five hour nap, which is incredible. And and my totally serious question to Glenn Haggard after that was like, if that is the case, can you sleep in this for an hour and truly get an equivalency of eight hours of sleep and basically just have to sleep in this thing for one hour a day? He did not know. I have since done my research and am, um, well, still in the middle of researching it. I think it's going to be irrelevant either way because they're like forty thousand dollars. So I, I, I was about to say, I don't, I don't know if this is my budget, um, but uh, but it's it's an incredible idea. But I mean, that was just like 
those were just a couple of like the highlights, just the tip of the iceberg. But this facility is it's unbelievable. I you can you can live in there like no problem. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. They but have they have food. They have a fully stocked and, kitchen. Yeah, and do we pretty were, well. We were uh, we were talking to uh, South Carolina's nutritionist, uh, you know, just about what the players eat, and apparently a lot of the players will come in there and cook. Um, which is really cool, and I'm kind of jealous because they basically have a fully stocked kitchen. So if they have a cooking day too now, right. where they're trying to basically teach them how to cook. So I was asking uh, Hank Manos, apparently a pretty good cook. Shy Smith, pretty good cook. Um, mm-hmm. And what apparently has also been a lot of fun is they they like to experiment with stuff because I mean, just like probably any of the three of us, like our our cabinets and fridges aren't as well stocked as like South Carolina's industrial size kitchen is. So they're able to experiment and like, you know, make their own sauces. Apparently Rico Dowdle has his own recipe for like a secret sauce that he puts on everything that he won't tell anybody. And they get kind of competitive. And uh, <laughs> I think AJ Turner's secret sauce was, uh, this was a weird one. It was like honey mustard, jelly, and hot sauce or something like that. Just sounds like sounds mm. like an abomination. But anyways, yes. they're having fun with that. <laughs> they're having fun. It's incredible. We got to eat. Did, y'all, did you eat, Wes? No, nah, I left. Why did you, you didn't even get food to go? No. There was food for us. How do you not I take know. it? It's okay. That's what we do in, in media. Right. We go places and eat free food. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And you just didn't eat. No. I'm disappointed. Um, okay. Anything else you wanted to mention from the from the tour that caught your eye? Oh, out? man. There was so much. I like the little recruiting room that was just sort of to the side. for. They said basically when the families, like if the kid's doing something and little brother, little sister needs somewhere to be, um, there's like a side room with a PlayStation and an Xbox and um, – the players' lounge was cool. The, they got a papa shot, the like the basketball yeah. thing. Um, I do. Some of the media members, not so good at free throws. Really? We'll say. Ooh. Are we going to call anybody out? Nah, not going there. Are you but, so good at free throws? I mean, free throw, yeah. I okay. didn't I didn't play anybody, though. Oh, you didn't um, play anybody. But, hey, they got, what was it, Cruising USA or Cruising World, the arcade game? Yeah, um, yeah. Used to love those games. They got so. pool and ping pong and air um, hockey, air hockey. And shuffleboard tables. Yeah, it was pretty, I mean, you could, li- you could live you could in live there, there and live well. Very comfortably. Yeah. Yes. It's incredible. It you has could everything. actually live there probably for a while without anyone knowing you were there because <laughs> right. there's so many rooms. Massive. Yeah, just the weight room, again, is 26,000 square feet. I don't um, know what the total square footage on that thing is. But. I, I, I liked how connected everything was. Like, I was trying to get the lay of the land and... Like when you were in that little side recruiting, just lobby hangout area, that still overlooked the entrance. Um, and that huge, uh, there's a huge screen that is actually 36, 55 inch TVs stacked on top of each other that can be changed to whatever they want it to be. But when you're in one room, you know, you're talking about how much glass there is. Like everything is sort of connected and just flows. Um, there are no wasted details in there. I was asking because our tour guide was with like the actual like architecture company. So I guess she was an architect and she was explaining a lot of the very specific decisions, which I was fascinated with. A lot of the a lot of the tables and doors have what looks like a like random yeah. pattern of just like lines. And I was asking her about that. I was like, OK, what's I, I like this. It, it has that sort of like mid-century modern kind of aesthetic to it. But I was asking her sort of where that came from. And, and she she had an answer, which, again, it's just amazing to me that they all. Are, are so intentional in making all those decisions, but apparently it's supposed to evoke the pattern of like the sidewalk on the horseshoe. Like yep. if you look at it from Google Earth, so it was, it's, you know, everything is like very specific. Everything tells a story. Everything has a very specific invocation, which was really cool. And I guess like the ground floor is going to be open on game days, if that's my understanding, or, or some days is going to be open for yeah, people to go in. Yeah, be open. They've yeah. got the little 
uh, thing with the history down there, three right. different stations. Yeah. First thing you see when you walk in right to your right is the Heisman Trophy, and it's like right there. It's not in a case. I don't know if it will be, but that's as close as I've ever been to a Heisman Trophy, and it was really cool. Uh, the other thing that I would encourage you all to check out if you go over there on game day, which you absolutely should, towards the like if you walk in, it's all the way down the hall to the right. There are all of the NFL team's helmets on the wall, two rows of 16. And it's like, oh, cool, NFL helmets. That's neat. And then you notice that at the end of that row of helmets is a big, I think she said it was about an 85-inch TV. It's just like the little South Carolina thing at the top. And what you do is you walk over and you just touch whatever helmet of whatever NFL team and then it just starts it a little graphic pops up on the screen and starts telling you every single South Carolina player that's ever played for that NFL franchise and what she said is it's not totally populated yet but they're also theoretically going to have highlights up there so you go just like tap the Texans helmet and it's like Jadavian Clowney and here's Jadavian Clowney taking off some poor offensive lineman's head and then it goes through you know DJ Swearinger, Jonathan Joseph you know anybody else that's, that's played for that so it's it's absolutely extraordinary I don't have the benefit of having been to other college football facilities. I don't know if y'all have or what you've seen, but I, I there may be other places that are like this, but I can't imagine there is anything better or nicer than what South Carolina has over there now. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been any any of the other operations buildings really, um, but uh, or indoors really that that I can think of. But I do remember a bunch of high school coaches who came through the indoor facility a while back. I don't, I don't think a lot of people have seen the, the ops building yet, but a lot of the high school coaches seen the indoor said that, man, that's the nicest one. I mean, they have been to a lot of different places. So I'd imagine we're going to hear some similar comments about the operations building too. So go check out the pictures. Like I said, the 107.5 Instagram, we have a highlight up there. Uh, also walk through on game day or whenever it's open to you. Even just walking through the ground floor is, is absolutely stunning. So uh, Wes, we're on Periscope, right? Or is it Facebook Live? Uh, we're on Periscope today. Any questions uh, from Periscope other than Colin weighing in to correct your wrong stats? No, and we're we're going to sort of rotate that. We did Periscope this time. We did Facebook another time. Um, I think I'm going to try YouTube and what Instagram Live and just go through yeah. them all. All right, well, hit us there if you have questions. Also, uh, in general, we're going to plug this thing. We're going to let you know in advance when we do it so that you can post any questions you have on the Insider Forum. And let's go ahead and go to that thread now and take some questions from you guys. First of all, from City Life 3, with Cheney and Tennyson committed elsewhere, even though it's a Florida school commitment, how much bigger of a prospect does Bigsby become for us to land? And are there any new names we should be on the lookout for other than Lloyd for potential running backs on the board? Yeah, I mean, first of all, the Cheney thing, I mean, that Don Cheney committing to Miami is sort of blind, a blindsider, you know, if you want to say that. I mean, Miami was always a big factor. Um, I do think there's a chance that ends up sticking, but it's an early commitment. It's a guy with ties to South Carolina. His father played at South Carolina. Good relationship there with Thomas Brown. So I'd I'd wager a guess that it's not completely over in terms of just the communication, and we'll see. Bigsby, I mean, he was always a big target. Um, I think that does put a little bit more of a bullseye, if you want to say that, and making him a little bit more of a of a huge need for South Carolina. I'm sure some other guys will emerge. I mean, Kobe Pryor from Georgia is one that South Carolina offered recently that could sort of fit that bill. Marshawn Lloyd is the five-star that they had in from Maryland that they'll, you know, continue trying to take a crack at. So we'll see. I think this one was probably intended for Wes, who just had to step up. But I'll go ahead and ask you, Chris, because I want you to bear the public humiliation of having to answer this question. Gamecocks 57 WPW hits us and says, what is your favorite Nickelback song? Ooh. Man, that is definitely intended for Wes. Um, I'm going to answer it for Wes, and his favorite song is Photograph. I don't even care if it is or not. Wes's favorite song is Photograph. This better be the top thread on Gamecock Central this afternoon. You heard it here first. Wes Mitchell's favorite 
Nickelback song is Look at This Photograph. Uh, also, great cover that Chris and I watched on YouTube earlier, Look at This Graph. That was pretty awesome. If you're not familiar with that, you need to need to go check that out. Uh, Bagel 400, love bagels, says, what recruit did you enjoy the most as far as following, talking to out of the 2019 class? Who do you think has the highest ceiling out of this class? And which players do you think are most ready for college? Loaded question there. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as favorite player to follow and talk to, Ryan Holinsky was, I think, the guy that would take the cake there. Um, you know, just a, a great guy. Um, always took time. Was always just so, uh, so happy all the time. I mean, just great attitude. So he was always a joy to talk to. Um, highest ceiling, uh, Zach Pickens. I think probably is a guy that just with what he brings to the table, his size, his skill set. You look at the fact that he's not a complete player yet. Even he's still got, um, he's sort of just still just scratching the surface. So there's still a lot of potential to reach there. Um, most ready for college. You know, it says players, so I would say uh, Zach Pickens, uh, Devontae Davis would be one, uh, Jamie Robinson, Ryan Holinsky, um, Kevin Harris is a big, strong guy. I mean, I don't know if he'll play a lot as a, as a freshman running back, but I think in terms of readiness, he's probably there, and he's an early enrollee. Which players need time in the weight room? All of them. I'll cheat on that because they all – no, I mean – I think, you know, um, certainly you look at, like, the defensive backs. I mean, Johnny Dixon, Cam Smith, um, those guys would come to mind. The offensive linemen um, typically have some some growing to do in that department. So I think those would be a few that would stand out off the top of my head. J.H. Johnson, 67, wants to know, who do you think will be our best recruiter on the staff this year and why? You know, I think a lot of people always think of assistant coaches. I think Will Muschamp's probably – he might be the best recruiter on the staff. He's so involved as a head coach, even in just the day-to-day stuff, evaluations. Um, he, he sort of serves as his own recruiting coordinator in a, in a ways. I mean, he, he has Matt Lindsay who runs sort of that department. They have a lot of people that do a lot of different things, but he's really good. Um, I think the results will sort of bear that out because I think from year to year you could pick a different guy. Some years, you know, you might pick Eric Wolford. Some years you might pick T-Rob. Um, if Thomas Brown signs one or two big – running backs this year, it might be him. Um, so I, I think the results will bear that out. But but Muschamp's always involved with all the top targets and does a really good job. Got time for about two more questions. Let's go with John the Greek 84. I hope that's not the same Greek that I've been watching on The Wire because he is like my least favorite character so far. He's, he's a villain. He's a bad guy. So I'm hoping this is not that the Greek. But John the Greek 84 wants to know how many newcomers you expect to crack the two deep. Um, he also says, who do you expect a redshirt? But I'm, I'm more intrigued. Just give me a number right now, and obviously that's going to change once guys get on campus. For mm-hmm. those that are going to participate in spring, that, that's going to change. And, you know, obviously it's very fluid. But right now, on February 7th, what is your projection for how many guys will crack the two deep? Man, that's a pretty tough question. Um, And I, I wouldn't say any of these are guarantees or locks. The guys that would have the best chance of cracking the two deep, Zach Pickens, Devontae Davis, I don't know if I could pick Derek Boykins just because I feel like Ernest Jones or Sendo Lewis will probably be ahead of him. Um, you know, Ryan Holinsky will be one to watch. It'll be sort of interesting in terms of number two quarterback. I don't know if they'll ever really say if they have a true number two quarterback during the season. Um, maybe one of the freshman wide receivers. Um, maybe Tyquan Johnson, possibly. Uh, th- those would be maybe the guys that have the best shot, I would say. 
Last one for this round, and if we didn't get to your question, we'll try to either answer it on the forum or get to it on another podcast. But Eddie71, missing out on Channing Tindall, looms large right now as one looks at the current linebacker depth and talent. I understand that the staff is excited about Brown, but overall there appears to be lack of talent and depth at linebacker. Why do you think Will Muschamp hasn't been able to land more talented linebackers? Well, I think that there's there's a few different things to look for. Um, number one, I think USC's played some guys early um, in their careers where maybe they're not be they haven't been able to develop guys more along and along to where they're stepping in as juniors as seniors that are more seasoned. Um, some guys have been up and down, like Sherrod Green, even T.J. Brunson's been up and down. Some they've had some injuries. You know, you look at Lewis, you look at Ernest Jones, um, who once he got onto campus, he had some recovery to do. Um, they do like Boykins and Brown in this class. The star power and the numbers haven't been there as much. There have been some misses like Tyndall, um, but they've also gotten some guys in that they like. And and so I wouldn't I wouldn't shut the book yet on on Boykins and Brown just because they're three star guys. I mean they, those guys, um, Boykins is on campus, Brown is not. I think people need to give them a chance to at least get on campus for maybe more than one year or get on campus at all. And sort of see how they develop. I, I don't know that I could really answer the question as to why there hasn't been, say, more four-star guys. I think that's just sort of the way it's shaken out. Um, I think the recruiting at every position will probably continue to get better, um, if I had to guess. Um, so I don't have a great answer for that. I think that's just how it's sort of how it's come out right now. All right, good stuff as always. And, hey, as I mentioned, if we didn't get to your question, we'll try to either get to it in the thread or do it at a separate time on another podcast. Thanks for the feedback, for all of you that tuned in live, for all of you that pitched in questions on the Insider Forum. And that's just about going to do it for us here. It's been another edition of another Carolina podcast. And if you like it, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Share it with your friends if you like what you've heard here. I have these guys all on my local show. Again, that's 107.5 The Game weekdays from 12 to 1. I have Wes with me on Mondays typically and Chris on Thursdays. And we will be back here for another Carolina podcast this time next Thursday. So we'll see you next time.